Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast Too Much Disinformation, the pod that uncovers the good, the bad and the fake of the online world. I'm your host, Rafi Mendelssohn, and on today's pod, we're going to be talking cyber insurance in the age of disinformation. And talking us through this topic is Jason Rebholtz. Jason is the CISO at Corvus Insurance, uh, an insurance company that provides cyber insur- insurance solutions. But you may recognize him as the face of Teach Me Cyber, a YouTube channel where Jason helpfully breaks down cybersecurity ideas and trends in easy to understand and bite-sized videos. His video about DDoS attacks specifically is my personal favorite, might not be yours. Um, you might prefer one of the other over 50 videos that he's created. He also updates his audience with daily knowledge posts on LinkedIn, and I personally enjoy that as well. At high school, Jason was interested in Speed Rubik's Cube and the Debate Club, and I think those two skills really show themselves in his channels as he communicates effectively about technical cyber topics. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, Jason, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Leah? Very good, thank you. Really good. Really looking forward to this topic um, because I think I'm going to be learning a lot today. Uh, and it's something that I don't think many people give much thought behind, but it's actually incredibly important um, and incredibly challenging as well. Uh, so we're going to be talking about cyber insurance in the age of disinformation. But before we get to that topic, I do have to ask you, um, what was your first ever social media platform? So I, it depends on how you're going to define this. I would say it's either going to be uh, AOL Instant Messenger in the uh, in the first age of uh, the profiles and away messages, but I think the the first official one was probably uh, MySpace before it became uh, the music platform uh, that it still is today, which is uh, still crazy to think about. Nice, nice. There, there's something when people say the word AOL Messenger. I still hear the dial-up noise in my in the back of my head. I still hear that horrible noise that is just so synonymous with. Okay, I'm going to go into the internet now. I'm going to AOL Messenger. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a, a way that you can date yourself on when you started <laughs> uh, using the internet. Fantastic, fantastic, um, great. So we're going to be covering a really, really interesting topic, um, and we're going to be talking about kind of cyber insurance, uh, how companies, I presume of all sizes, um, really protect themselves from cyber attacks. But of course, the cyber attacks themselves have changed over the years uh, and have become more complex or become more difficult or they're in new ones all the time. So I think maybe a good place to start is just hearing from you, what are those threats that you are seeing coming from the online space that are being aimed at companies? Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is that it, there are there are endless amounts of threats that are out there, uh, and it really can start to get boiled down into a few different categories. And I, I have a very biased view, just how I grew up in the industry, uh, where you know I was doing investigations into nation state threats. You know, these are countries that are hacking into other governments and also private organizations. Uh, and then I also was riding the ransomware wave. Uh, you know, I can remember back in 2016 when there was a shift from single system encryptions uh, to these enterprise-wide encryptions. And so all of these things really go hand in hand uh, together. But the way that I think about it is really in terms of the amount of uh, velocity that we're seeing behind certain types of attacks. So, you know, 
I look at it as ransomware is one of the most prolific things that is happening right now. Um, but you also have these other types of attacks where it's more socially engineering driven. Uh, we call them business email compromises in the insurance uh, uh, world. Uh, but, you know, those are when somebody's sending a phishing email to other users uh, to try to get them to take action. Uh, and then you also have those more sophisticated, not to say that these other ones aren't sophisticated, but there's a whole nother league of attacks that happen that are more just nation state driven, whether it's espionage, whether it's just trying to get a competitive advantage uh, or uh, in some cases, less nation state, more organized crime, where you're just having very sophisticated uh, hacks that are just trying to get something for financial gain. So it really kind of runs the gambit. But, you know, that's how I would really lump down the, 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 the highest velocity uh, attacks that we're seeing today. Fascinating, fascinating. And it's so interesting that you mentioned nation states. And I once heard a CISO uh, of, a, of a very large financial company uh, say to me that um, large global multinationals are, have to think like countries. Um, and so when you talk about also nation states and the threats that they pose as well, I don't know if there's kind of any more information or if you're able to expand on that specifically. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes sense. Uh, and I, I feel like that is something that only somebody who has lived through it is mm -hmm. going to say, right? Because that is a comment just from sheer experience. Because, you know, normal people aren't just going to think like that. But it's very, very true. And the reason for that is uh, governments don't just hack other governments, right? And like that's something that, you know, Mandiant really unearthed with their APT1 report years and years ago, where they saw that China had dedicated hacking groups that would hack into private organizations and government uh, agencies. And so the reason why this is important is because when you reach a certain size of a company or even just an industry, because there's certainly startups that are getting attacked as well, when you, when you reach that specific size, you are now on the radar of, of these nation state threats. And with that comes a level of sophistication that a lot of organizations don't have to deal with, right? And so what was always interesting to me, if I, I'll just single out China here in particular, because it was amazing to see when they created their five-year plan for their country, they had specific industries that they would wanna go after. And when you look at that and when that report is released, and then you look at the private organizations that were getting hit by China, it was a one-to-one -one mapping, right? And so for these organizations, they don't have a choice but to really think like a government here because they have to be thinking about, it's not just a ransomware uh, uh, event that we have to worry about. You know, It is a very dedicated and well-resourced adversary that is going to take their time and energy and focus on me exclusively. It's not the law of numbers here. It's not an opportunistic attack. It is a specific target on your organization. And that's just, it's not how a lot of people think about it. They think like cybersecurity or, or hacks are just like a happenstance thing. Oh, we didn't have some controls in place. Or even if we did, it was just bad luck. No, in these situations, like you're dealing with a, an adversary that's specifically targeting you. Wow. And also you're talking about, circumstances that are outside of these companies control yeah there are global events happening around them and all of a sudden because of those activities then all of a sudden they're they're in the glare whether it's you know 
foreign that is uh, 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 taking place and, and affected them. Or, you know, we've also seen, for example, protests that are taking place around election times, or if there's uh, a kind of uh, unhappiness against, um, you know, governments and, and, and regimes, then the protesters start to target specific businesses, either because they're Western businesses or because they're local businesses. And that's one of the, all of a sudden a target for them. Exactly. I mean, just look at all the hacktivists that are out there now. And you know, the Russia, uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine is a good example of this, where you, know, you had these hacking groups that essentially just started taking up arms. And you know, whether you were located in Russia or you're, you're located in, the, in a Western country that was supporting Ukraine or you know, a Ukrainian business as well, uh, a lot of these companies are just collateral damage in, you know, in whether it's a, a kinetic war that's including cyber uh, operations uh, or even even just a philosophical war. Uh, you know, it's if you're connected online and doing business, and you know somebody perceives that you're associated with somebody that they don't like. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, you're you're a potential target there. Mm. Um, and before we press record, when we were speaking just off air, um, you were also talking about some of the uh, threats and hacks that are coming companies' ways. Um, but from and are emerging from the social media space. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, this is something that I'm paying really close attention to because uh, it, it kind of scares me. <laughs> and the reason for it is it's another shift in in how we think about security. And so, you know, if you look back to uh, really over the last year, it started gaining popularity, but there's a lot of attacks uh, that tar are targeting tech companies, crypto companies, things of that nature. Uh, and they're originating from social media. And uh, that's going to be things like you have um, these groups, these hacking groups that are creating fake LinkedIn profiles and like going to the point where they'll actually put like real like, you know, real posts out, just like, you know, something to fill the timeline, connecting with other people. So it's not just like your typical fake profile with no no profile picture and like zero followers. There's actually some legitimacy uh, behind it. Uh, and even where you know there's certain groups that are creating like fake GitHub profiles, and like you have know, seen some where they're stealing the profile picture of a, a famous security researcher or whatever, um, and it's just like it's adding more and more um, just substance behind it. But all of this is to get to the first part of an attack of trying to get access into a company. And so what's interesting here is that they're no longer trying to just go to the front door and you know find a vulnerability. Like th that definitely happens, but especially as you start having companies shift to cloud native where they don't really have an on-premise infrastructure, everything is tied to the identity. Well, the weak part has and always, has, uh, always will be the human. And so now they're targeting the personal accounts, the personal devices of these employees, and they're making this bet here, which is a safe bet to make, that if they can get access to this employee who, you know, whether it's on their personal social media accounts or, you know, even just their professional one, like a LinkedIn, their defenses might be down a little bit and their guards down a little bit. And so if they can trick that user into uh, installing software on their system or potentially giving up their credentials there, now the attackers have just expanded their ability to try to gain access into that company or the resources. But social media is like, is this perfect platform for them to be able to just slide right into those DMs and be like, hey, like, do you want to help, uh, you know, troubleshoot this, uh, you know, certain code on and uh, give them access to this GitHub, have them pull that down, run it on their systems and boom, now they've got malware that's running on their system. So it's just expanding the potential attack vectors into companies. And 
you know, trying to even think about how you protect the social media profiles for your your users, right? It's like, yeah, you can do social, you know, you can do a security awareness training and stuff like that, but it's a whole different battlefield that, you know, most companies aren't really in a good position to even start thinking about. Mm. And why do you think that this is only something that we've seen over the last year that you mentioned? So I, it's definitely happened in the past, right? Like I, I've seen instances in the past, like back when Skype was still a big thing, uh, where you know the, uh, more nation state kind of threats would try to use that as a way in. Um, but I think now it's just this, uh, it's this perfect kind of timing of a lot of different things where you know most professionals are gonna have a LinkedIn profile. Uh, most people uh, or most organizations are shifting over to you know cloud resources. Uh, and identity is becoming kind of that main thing. So for attackers, it's like they've reached this point where it's just like the perfect alignment of how companies are running their technology, how individuals are operating, and just like most people are going to have some sort of social media uh, account. And so like when these things merge together, it's just a ripe opportunity for hackers, and it's working, right? And that's mm. the big thing is like it's a very low effort thing to even create a, a fake profile that looks semi-legitimate and somebody's like, you know, somebody's probably going to fall prey to that. And so it's just like all these things are mixing together to create a ripe opportunity for attackers to take advantage of it. Wow. And I think you're, we should really be paying attention. You know, myself and anyone who's listening should really be paying attention to this because you're, you're kind of, you're uniquely qualified both for the company you work in the uh the, the hat that you wear as a CISO and the fact that you are super active on YouTube, LinkedIn and 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 pretty much all social media channels. So you, you know, you're you're kind of hyper aware of this and you're really kind of on the front line and seeing this. Do you think other CISOs are generally aware of this as well or it's kind of reached their consciousness? I think it's really going to depend on uh, on the CISO, how they kind of grew up in the industry, and then also like what's what's the type of role that they have today, right? Because there's a, there's a there are so many different flavors of CISOs that are out there, uh, and you know I think you have some flavors that it's more checklist, right? And it's like they're they're potentially heavy heavily regulated, and it's just their key concern is are we meeting the regulations that we're required to. Uh, and they probably don't have as much time or, or you know, just uh, capacity to really kind of think through these emerging threats. I mm. think if you're a CISO in a tech company, you know, you're, you're seeing what's happening and this is probably going to be more front of mind for you. But it's just like anything, right? Like depending on how you think about security, which I think is largely rooted in how you grew up uh, in the industry. And then, you know, what's your typical day to day like? Where are your questions coming from? Uh, and, you know, kind of where's the pressure sort of situation like that's really going to dictate how well prepared you are for this and, and whether you're even thinking about it in the first place. Interesting. Interesting. OK, so let's presume you have a CISO, right? You have a CISO who is who is aware of this, who is uh, engaged in this topic uh, and they work for a, a large company and they are coming to you and they are saying, as you've outlined very eloquently, right, there are risks kind of traditional not necessarily newer risks and there are also these emerging risks or things that we've been seeing you've been seeing over the last year and then they're coming to you and saying okay how do i ensure myself against this you know what's that process then yeah so i think a lot of this is just first understanding what are the most likely risks for your company right and so this is just like your classic risk mapping exercise and then trying to understand you know, do we have the right controls in place to try to prevent these things? 
Uh, and I am a huge proponent uh, of defense in depth. Uh, you know, I don't believe that, you know, security awareness training is the end all be all of everything. Uh, it plays its role. But, you know, if we're relying on that to just be the only defense against uh, social engineering attacks or anything else, like you probably already lost that battle. And so, you know, it's looking at these layered defenses and seeing how resilient is my security program. You know, if I, you know, can I operate if two out of, uh, you know, X number of security controls fail, which they will, how how deep into my system is an attacker going to be able to get? They're going to be able to get access to sensitive data. They're going to be able to accomplish whatever that objective might be. And how does that relate to my business and their function, right? Uh, if that, if it's in the financial industry, is like, is three security failures going to allow them to get access into the crown jewels that's, you know, storing all the sensitive information or, you know, uh, you know, it's this sort of thing that you really have to kind of go through to understand. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's like that's the primary role for a CISO is to really think through strategically about how am I building this program and and putting it in a way that it's going to be resilient. And then you have this other component of planning for failure, uh, because at some point you can have the world's best security, but somebody is probably going to find their way in. And I think that's really where the role of cyber insurance comes in. It's like, let's plan for a catastrophic failure. And catastrophic can mean a lot of different things here, right? If all your security controls fail, that, that's catastrophic, right? It doesn't need to be this mass event, you know, like a wanna cry or something like that. Um, but, you know, in these events where something is going to fail, you do have that financial backstop there with cyber insurance. And you have access to a lot of different resources as well. Uh, that can really help you respond to these attacks or, or hopefully even prevent them from happening in the first place. Interesting. So you, you mentioned three things there. You've spoken about kind of mapping out the potential risks based on who the company is, you know, what, what industry they sit in, you know, things that are specific to them. And then the second thing is a, it's, it's a, a presumption or a mindset that uh, some of those defense mechanisms are going to fail. Uh, the question is kind of how many and planning based on that. And then the third thing is it's almost, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's almost starting from the worst case scenario of what's going to happen. What's the worst thing that can happen? Let's map those things out and almost, it's almost work backwards, right? Yeah, I would say the only thing I would change with that is it's, it's the worst case scenario that's applicable to you. Mm. And that's the key because like, I tell people all the time, security is an endless game of survival. And so like the best way that you're going to survive is focusing on the things that matter most to you. And so I see this a lot where a lot of organizations are solving for the worst case scenario that doesn't apply to them. Mm. And so it's just like, hey, uh, you, you're not going to get bonus points for, for going down that route, right? Like if it's not applicable, it's a waste of time. And so mm -hmm. you really have to start with understanding what really like what matters to my business? Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm not going to solve for an edge case that is not applicable to my environment. Right. Like, uh, let's let's say uh, if I'm running a Mac only environment, I don't need to solve for a Windows environment. Right. And Go maybe ahead. I've got one or two systems there, but like that's a very distant thing. And you can address that with a few key controls. So mm -hmm. it's really about understanding what is applicable to my environment and making sure that you're modeling out on those those threats and mm. from the whole chain, right? It's like from social engineering to get in, whether it's like, you know, these hackers that are creating face, uh, fake social media profiles, how are you addressing that all the way down to 
oh, you know what? How are they going to get access into my database that's housing all of this PII, you know, whatever, uh, and all the sensitive information? Yeah. Um, I also want to refer to something that you that you threw out there earlier about not just relying on kind of employee education as the as the you know one size fits all solution um and that makes complete sense but but what does that look like you know especially with so many uh, so much evolution in all of these changes new threats coming up all the time and let's be honest not all employees are um, are kind of engaged in this topic or maybe take it as seriously as they should. Um, and an organization is only as good as its kind of weakest link. So how do you how do you deal with that employee education piece? Yeah, so I think part of it is uh, is just understanding how your users are going to receive the information, right? The I fully believe that uh, a lot of the security awareness training is just broken. Like an hour worth of material is not the way to teach people in, in today's society. It just doesn't work, right? And so, you know, how can you kind of break this down into smaller chunks? Uh, I don't know what the right answer is, if it's, you know, doing it more frequent, uh, but, you know, with more, uh, with better quality content and just a better effective delivery mechanisms. You know, there's a lot of research that's being done on phishing simulations and, you know, are those effective? You know, maybe not. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those things where, I would much rather teach people via real world scenarios. Again, going back to like, what are you most likely to, to experience as an employee of this company and help them with that, right? I'll give you mm -hmm. an example of this. Uh, when, uh, when I joined uh, uh, my company, I was looking at the, the, the phishing simulations we were doing. And it's like, we started off where it was just sending out phishing simulations for like gift cards and things like that. Guess what? Like any standard email filter is going to catch those things. So why are we training for that? Right. Like an Olympic athlete is not training, uh, you know, for a, a 10 minute mile. Right. Like they're training mm. to try to get, you know, that that four minute, three minute mile, whatever it is. Right. So like, why are we going to train with the lightest amount of things possible? And so I'm much more of a proponent of like give the realistic scenario. Mm train them on the things that they're really going to be seeing that are most likely to bypass the defenses and then train afterwards. Right. Like I I'm super transparent. Like we, you know, here's here was our click through rate. Right. Again, here's how you can submit a phishing report to security or phishing email to security. You know, this is the things to look out for. Right. And it's just, it's that repetition that I think is most important because like, guess what? Like the bottom line is most employees don't care about security. And that's not to say like, they're going to just go and to be negligent, right? It's just like, that's not top of mind for them in their day to day. And I wouldn't expect it to be. And so I want to be able to help them identify these things. But I'm also want to help them where when that inevitable slip up is going to happen, that it mitigates the damage behind it. So that mm. when you know somebody does click on a link, it's not that big of a deal, because I've already put the bubble around them to try to contain that impact. Although most employees are nowadays going to be on multiple social media accounts. So if, we're, if we talk just on the social media space, you know, people are living their lives on social media. I think the days of having kind of two separate phones uh, or of having your emails connected to different devices and people are also using social media for the same same things. And so therefore, that's a, you know, that's a threat vector, right? Absolutely. Right. Because, yeah, it's we shouldn't be living under this assumption that people aren't accessing their personal accounts on their their work device. Right. Like, that's just not the world we live in today. And again, like this is just like being realistic about it. I don't care what your policy states like people are still doing this um, because it's just like it's what they do. 
And so, yeah, like with a social media account, right? Like I can lock down that system. Um, but uh, if I've been spending all of my time trying to defend against phishing emails, and then an attacker just creates a fake social media profile and message an employee directly and gets them to click on a link, like, that's like, what are you doing, right? Like, so like this, and this is the exact thing is like, we have to understand these types of scenarios mm. because that might not be something that a lot of people have thought about before, right? And so mm. what other security controls are you putting in place to try to help mitigate that, right? And there's, there's a whole slew of things you can do there, but also like, are your employees aware that these hackers are gonna try to target them on social media? Like, you can almost guarantee you there's like no so there's no uh, security training that's talking about this. They're going to go as far as saying like don't accept uh you know uh requests from random strangers. Again, like this is just not the world we live in. Like I, mm. I this is where like uh I just I I get so um triggered by this reality where like we paint this perfect picture of how the perfect employee is going to operate in in the security landscape and it's just not realistic, right? Like People are going to accept things. It's just yeah. the way it happens. So let's plan for that inevitable failure. Help them try to make the best informed decisions. But we're humans. We're all going to mess up. So let's just give them a soft landing spot as well uh, for them personally, so that their you know you know their whole lives aren't going to get uprooted if somebody steals their identity. But also like protect the company and make sure that this like one slip up isn't going to cause a, a catastrophic failure of everything else in the uh, the organization. Yeah, and I think that's one of the one of the key learnings that I've taken from the conversation so far is that you have to make the scenarios when when you're planning or you're planning for the worst or imagining all those different scenarios and also you're putting that into training and education itself that those scenarios have to be realistic and they have to be born out of the real world and actual real people's behavior um uh, in the real world and 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 yeah I think that's interesting Exactly. And like people, we're humans. We, we live off of stories, right? And so this is why like, I love talking about case studies because one, they actually happened. And two, there's a lot of valuable lessons from them. And so yeah. when you can talk about attacks in the sense of a, a story from you know, start to finish and where, what happened, how it succeeded, why the defenses failed, that's going to latch better onto, into people's minds versus here's a list of 25 things that you can do to detect a phishing email, right? Like if you get people to remember two things from that list, great. But if you can talk about how hackers are, you know, creating a fake email alias that is mimicking, uh, you know, your company's domain and, you know, they're, they're crafting these messages based on a news release that just happened, right? Like this is stuff that actually happens in the real world. Mm -hmm. Now somebody's going to be able to go in there and say, oh, you know what? Yeah, I should really just double check to see if my boss is emailing me uh, about something that he normally doesn't email me about. I probably should just check that email to make sure it's actually coming from him and not, you know, the this this one that's just mimicking what the uh, the name looks like. Right. And I think that brings us really nicely to the next part of the conversation, which is, you know, you've uh, mapped out the risks. You've kind of imagined all the different scenarios. You're kind of planning for the worst, but in a in a realistic scenario, you know, positioned in the real world of, of how people work um, in the real life. So so you've done that. And then how do you work with them to, to prevent it? Are, you know, are companies kind of sitting there, both CISOs and also the work that you do with those organizations, are they sitting there saying, okay, well, we've mapped them out. Now let's just wait for one of them to happen. Um, you know, what steps 
and, and you've spoken at length, you know, you've spoken really comprehensively about the kind of employee education. Apart from that, what other steps can they take to, to, to mitigate this risk before it's even happened, to prevent it from happening? Yeah, this just comes down to running an effective security program, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, these are these are mistakes that I've made as a CISO as well. It's like we think that a tool is going to solve all of our problems, and it's not, right? It's the the day to day. How are you setting up those tools? How are you configuring them? And then how are you responding to them? Mm -hmm. uh, and so for me, it's it's that's that's the better thing is how do you build consistency into your security program so that you know when you do get an alert or you know something suspicious pops up because you're doing threat hunting, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. That you have the muscle there to do a proper investigation, to put the right blocks in place, to contain it, and to make sure that you're following up the right way. That's something that you have to build muscle to do. And mm -hmm. so it's like, it's the boring parts of security that matter most. And that's why I think security is so hard because we all think that buying a new tool is gonna to solve all of our problems, but it's not. It's how you incorporate this into the day-to-day -day security operations of your company and just the blocking and tackling. And that's where I think most, most organizations should be focusing on security. It's that, it's running an effective program uh, and making sure that it's gonna, gonna be there. And then it's just having the right backstops in place like cyber insurance to make sure that when something does happen, it doesn't become the company ending event. So I, I think this conversation has been, has been fascinating. And I really think that's kind of opened up, uh, taught a lot, but also open up, uh, I think a lot of other areas that um, with your permission, uh, I think we would like to keep uh, an eye on uh, and maybe have you on you know, a, a later date to kind of give us an update about how those threats are emerging. Because I think it's so interesting, the insight that you have, both as a CISO and working insurance, uh, cyber insurance, and also you know, your, your, your um, footprint online as well in, the, in, in social media. Um, so, but I have to conclude on the same question that I ask all of our guests that come on. Um, if you could uh, let us know one thing good one thing bad and one thing fake that you're seeing in the online space today? So uh, I think my response is actually going to be the same for each one of those. And it's the access to free and uh, useful information. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's good because it's an equal playing field for anyone that wants to learn anything about anything. Uh, I think it's bad because judging the quality of that information is extremely difficult, especially when we have fake information that's starting to come out in droves. Uh, and the fake thing is exactly that, is what happens when what you think is real in terms of things that you're learning, and this could be news events, this could be actual knowledge itself, what happens when that's fake? Because that happens all the time. And so I think like for me, it's really about it's a double-edged sword. Great to have all the information, but take the time to make sure that you're actually vetting it and validating that it's coming from a, a legitimate source that's guiding you in the right direction. Amazing. I think that's an excellent answer uh, that caps off an excellent conversation. Um, so uh, thank you to all the listeners who have listened to the conversation so far um, and uh, for tuning in for another episode of Too Much Disinformation. Uh, and of course, thank you, Jason, for making the time. Really appreciate it. Um, and to you and to all the listeners, have a great day, everyone. Yeah, Bye. Thanks for having me.